Welcome, everyone, to the Fire Nuggets podcast. Tonight is September 3rd, and we're psyched to have John Kwan as our guest. The goals here are pretty simple. Bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold as possible from them in 35, 40, 50, 60 minutes. Uh, short, sweet, and deep. Uh, unfortunately, Joey nor Jeff can be here tonight, so it's just myself, Nick. I'm going to do my best to try not to drop the ball. So, John, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm excited to, to get a chat with, chat with you and, and pick your brain a little bit, man. For sure. I'm so stoked to be here. Uh, yeah, I was super surprised and uh, taken back when Jeff asked me to be here, so I'm excited. Nick has a, uh, a, a talent for bringing in some pretty badass guests, so we appreciate you uh, giving us your time and energy tonight, and, and hopefully the, the guests and the listeners enjoy this. Yeah, man. A brief little intro on you, um, and, and correct me if I get anything wrong here, um, but you're a tillerman on Ladder 1 in Tacoma. You've been on the job for about seven years. You're a TFD Academy instructor, specifically in forcible entry, also a Brothers in Battle instructor. Your first name rhymes with your last name. You've done the 75 hard, and you are uh, an amazing father and husband. That's me, dude. Yep. You <laughs> nailed it. Well, excellent. Uh, John, to anyone who's ever been to your classes, had the pleasure to meet you or talk with you, your passion and love for this job is obvious from across the room. Do you have any idea where this love came from? Yeah, man. I think, uh, I think kind of the easiest way to explain it is to take it back to the start. So um, right out of high school, I had kind of gotten turned on to the fire service through a, like a class in my, in my high school where you kind of got exposed a little bit. So I started volunteering back in uh, 01 in my hometown there, and I just loved it. I was just living at the fire station, and then, you know, that kind of progressed to me getting my EMT and then going through a community college fire academy, working a season for the Forest Service on a hand crew, and then uh, getting getting uh, put on as a, a reserve firefighter with a, a decent-sized municipal department and working private ambulance, and basically everybody was telling me like if you want to get hired and like go career you got to go to medic school like that's 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 the golden ticket in so picture me like 21 years old going to medic school I'm kind of you know like a cocky 21 year old kid I haven't really failed at anything yet in my life and I make it uh, just to the very end of the didactic portion and we had five finals. I passed the first four. Last one is done. I'm looking in the hallway, scanning the paper up on the wall, and I see that I've failed and, and it's over. Um, so I was just crushed, man. Like it was, it was super rough. Like I was, I was really embarrassed and uh, it was just kind of a, a tough time for me. Um, and I, you know, I'd been plugging away for a couple of years now. And, and so just, I just hit this dead end and, uh, so I decided to take a step back, and uh, for me, my brother had uh, just uh, signed a record deal with his band, and so he was like, "It's like, hey man, like you're kind of in a low place. Like, how about you get out of town for a little while? We need a tour manager. Come out on the road with us." So I did that, and it was pretty awesome. Like, we got to travel around the country a couple times and go over to Europe, and it was super cool. But um, I basically landed up in Seattle, and. When I was there, uh, I worked a bunch of different jobs, like making coffee, worked at a preschool, and then I kind of ended up sticking uh, with uh, bike messengering. And for the, for the folks that may not be familiar, uh, bike messengers deliver uh, like everything from architectural plans, legal documents, uh, you name it, they deliver it in, in uh, kind of urban areas. So I, I loved that job, it was super fun. Uh, pedaling around and uh but i would always see i would always see you know a fire engine go by and it was just like a little dagger you know it was just like ah oh, man like i wish i could have made that happen so uh long story short i meet my wife and it's like okay you gotta figure this out dude like what are you gonna do with your life like this has been fun but it's not a career and it had just it had just haunted me all those years you know that i'd never got into the fire service and i'd seeing all the dudes that I came up with, you know, get picked up and do great things. So I went to my wife and I was like, listen, like, I think I know what I want to do, but 
and you know let me know like it's it's gonna be a lot of work and it's gonna be a life change for us uh, are you on board and i told her i wanted to pursue the fire service again and she was she was totally stoked and totally had my back and supported me so i'm like going through emt school again because my emt had expired and i started volunteering again and still riding the bike but i'm also like bartending at night and then working in a factory a couple extra hours where I can get them. So I was definitely hustling for sure. And uh, one moment kind of sticks out in my mind. It was uh, New Year's Eve and I was working at this bar and I just, you know, finished cleaning up like some drunk girls puke and I'm taking out this bag full of beer bottles to the dumpster and it's raining and the bag kind of splits open and stuff falls all over me. And I'm just like, uh, like this is, this is going to end like I'm going to make this work. And when I do, you know, when I make it like I'm going to make it count, you know. So um, I was really fortunate that uh, I got picked up with Tacoma in 2014. And you know, since then, it's just kind of like I feel like I'm making up for lost time, you know. So I, there's so much I, I wish I could have done in that time period. But I think I wouldn't appreciate the job as much as I do if I hadn't been through that experience and really created a lot of passion for me. And the other piece of it is, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm able to live uh, in the community where I work. So it's very personal to me. Uh, I have a daughter and a wife here that lived in my first inn. So um, the job is, it's super, super personal to me. And I, I just love it. And I'm just, uh, I'm just so grateful. It's just given me a sense of purpose in my life and the ability to provide for my family. So yeah, man, I love the job. I like that perspective that you're saying, the fact that, you know, you've been on this journey since you were, you know, 19, 20 years old and kind of was close to it, but lost it. And, and now you're finally where you want to be after hustling for all those years and you haven't forgotten that. And you still tell yourself like, Hey, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm finally here. I only get one shot at this. Like, let's crush this. So I like that perspective you have. Thanks brother. Uh, what band was your brother in again? Uh, he's in the band Cold War Kids. Um, I think uh, people may not know them by the name, or some people do, but uh, they had a song on a chorus commercial recently. So maybe check out uh, Cold War Kids first. Cold War Kids. I'm going to check that out. That's my homework tonight. What was more fun, being a firefighter or being a tour manager? Oh, firefighter for sure. Okay. Firefighter for sure. <laughs> tour, ma tour manager has its perks, but. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is how officers feel sometimes. It's like herding cats, you know, Fair <laughs> enough. get everybody in the van. Um, okay. When we look at hands-on classes from like a philosophical and even pragmatic perspective, there seems to be this balancing act between trying to give students new information and then also trying to make sure that they get as many sets and reps as possible. When you teach, how do you try to balance this? You know, how does Brothers in Battle try to balance the, these two sometimes paradoxical, paradoxical concepts? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I mean, it's always it's always a tightrope act, and I don't want to speak for for everybody at BIB, but um, in my mind, how I look at it is uh, we've all kind of had that experience where we're trying to learn a new skill, and we've got this instructor that just keeps interrupting us, and they're like. Well, consider this and you're kind of doing this so maybe we can change this and you're just kind of like dude like let me let me work through a rep here and then on the, on the flip side of that coin if you've if you've ever been in a position where you're you're helping instruct you and it comes from a good place right you everyone has the best of intentions but it's like you see where the student is getting hung up and you really just want to impart that information to them and you know that all these things that you've done and made these mistakes and you don't want them to make the same mistakes. And you're just like, ah, I just want to like give you guys all this stuff. Um, but I think really it, it gets to a point where it's detrimental to the student. So for me that when we're in that sweet spot, we're explaining the why just as simply as we can. And that's in support of showing them the how, and I, I could give them the most poignant and insightful information but that info needs to be backed up with the, the repetitions. That's, that's how you actually absorb that knowledge. And I think that's how the, the skill acquisition actually happens. Um, the other part of that, I think, is um, you know, 
I need to have the emotional intelligence to, to realize when someone is getting overloaded and when they can take another piece of information and, and when I'm not going to ever let anybody just struggle and struggle and struggle and walk away feeling crummy because they failed at a skill. You got to know when to step in, but you got to also know when to let them work through it. And, and that's when they're really going to have those moments that click and they're like, okay, I get it now. Um, sometimes it's just picking one kind of crucial nugget and giving them that and focusing on that. So they have something that they can, uh, to borrow a phrase, like, what are we going to do on Monday, right? Like, what can I take with me that I'm going to implement when I get back? Does that, does that get to it, Nick? Yeah, I really like a sentence that you said in there. Um, you, and I think I got this right, but you said you, you, you try to give them the why in support of the how. I like how you phrase that. I think there's a lot of gold in that, in that sentence right there. That was one of the more succinct sentences or statements I, I've heard on this, this topic. Because the reason I asked this question is because, and you alluded to both sides of this, um, I've been the student who's getting overloaded with information, and I've been the instructor wanting to give more information and trying to tell myself, shut up, shut up, man. Just let him do it. Let him get a couple reps in there so he can start figuring this stuff out or she can start figuring this out on her own. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have a good answer uh, for this. So I'm trying to mine other people's brains to see what they can uh, pass on to me. I figured if, if I'm having issues with this, uh, I'm likely there's others that are doing the same thing. You're, you're not the only one, brother. But I think, you know, if you're thinking about it and if I'm thinking about it, we're, we're probably on the right track because at least we're aware of it and we're, we're working towards finding that answer. Yeah. I also liked how you threw in the, the EI, the emotional intelligence uh, thought on there as well. I think that's something that likely in the next five, 10, 20 years will be a little bit on the forefront of, of our, of our teaching um, methodologies. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a phrase that's probably popular right now, but it's just, it's just reading people, right? People, people have been doing that for centuries, mm -hmm. at least the people that are good at it. So it's yeah, just kind well, of. And not only the reading, but how to respond to that as well. I think that's sometimes where, where I have failures. Like I, I'm getting that this person is overwhelmed, but I don't connect like, all right, stop giving them information, step back, let this person breathe for a minute and then figure out what to do after this. Let them get a couple reps in there, let them breathe, let them process. And then, you know, as, as Aaron says, fix like a funnel. Um, pick the one big thing. Instead of the six things that you want to tell them, just pick one thing right now. Circle back to the other ones if, if they need it after a couple more sets and reps. Absolutely. That's so true. Just, you know, uh, I don't know if you know Brock, but he teaches with us, but awesome dude. But I, I, I asked him one time, I'm like, what do I do? Like, I... I've got this student and they're just struggling and like, you know, it's a real soup sandwich. And he's like, just give them one thing, man. Just give them one thing. And if they can get that one thing, then they're better off than they were when they came here. Yeah. It, it sounds so simple. Um, and it is, uh, but it, I think it's pretty wise at the same time. All right. So going along this training route and instructing route, how do you fit decision-making into your psychomotor skill training? Like let's say, for instance, forceful entry. When you're teaching forceful entry, how do you throw in different decision-making tasks or exercises within your evolutions? Yeah, when I was thinking about this one, what kind of kept coming to the forefront of my mind was um, all the decision-making has got to be rooted in competency with the skill itself. Um, I think his... I think it's John Buttrick from Coastal Fire Training had a had a saying. He was like, "If you if you know how, you'll know when." And I, I kind of like that a lot. <clears throat> with with uh, so when we go to actually apply the skill under duress, like we've got to be so familiar with its application that that's not the time to be wondering like, does the ads go here or does the pike go here? Like, so what I what I what I really try to impress um, to anybody that I, I get to work with uh, is that you need to put in the time with the skill itself because that is going to lay that foundation for you so that you can free up that other part of your mind to make decision making when the time comes. I think what Cody's done that is, is really sweet 
Um, and obviously this came from all his mentors and the people that he worked with, but it's, it's just a super simple to me, um, forcible entry algorithm, right? Then I, I respond really well to systems and I like to have, you know, just a way I do things every time. And the more I practice that, the less I have to think about it. And then it frees up my brain to look at other things, but it's basically like, you know, I come up, I doing my size up of the frame of the door, the swing of the door, I toe and shoulder, I'm trying before I'm prime, gapping with the ads, seeing what I'm getting. Then I go to the forks. Am I going to go bevel to the jam? If it's tight, I'm going to go bevel to the door. If it's loose, you know, and, and, and the way that I, I, that he's talked to a lot of the students about this is like, you know, the only way that that decision-making algorithm kind of gets into your mind is if you put in the time and, get those reps and not everybody has access to uh, a door prop. I know I certainly don't at my department, but most people have a Halligan and there's plenty of doors in the fire station. So he, he always talked about, you know, walking around, going through that process in your mind, sizing up the door. And I kind of call it shadow boxing, right? Like I'll walk up to the door, go through my moves, just kind of fake uh, prying with the Halligan. And then I'm switching the bar and that's the way i've kind of had to work around to build up that muscle memory for myself i like that all right taking a, a slight left-hand turn here you've taken part in the 70 75 hard challenge can you tell our listeners what this is sure um just just a preface you know i'm i'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have done it so I don't, I don't think I'm special for having done this or some sort of tough guy, but uh, I saw my good friend, uh, Chris Clark was doing it out in uh, North Carolina. And I got, I got super, I was like, he was posting these things on his Instagram and it was like showing a, a, a calendar and like one day crossed off out of 75. And I was like, what is this? So I, I hit him up about it. And basically what it is for 75 days, you do two workouts a day, 45 minutes in length. One of them has to be outside and you pick the workouts, right? Like they don't have to both be gnarly CrossFit workouts or whatever, you know, you can do yoga or you can just walk. But I think the cool thing about the, the workouts themselves is they're infinitely scalable for, so you can meet you wherever you're at in your, uh, in your fitness journey. So you got your two workouts, you drink a gallon of water a day, you read 10 pages of a nonfiction book. You pick a diet and you stick to it. Um, and you got no cheat meals, no booze, and you have to take a progress picture every day. So you do that for 75 days and you cannot miss a day um, or you go back to the start. What was your diet that you chose? So for me, <clears throat> I just tried to eat real food. So I avoided all processed food, all sugar. You know, if I got some sugar from fruit or whatever, like I was okay with that, but no bread. So mostly just meat and vegetables, a little bit of rice here and there, but yeah, just tried to eat real food. Super clean. Yeah. And what do you think you gained from this? And what did you learn about yourself by doing this? Yeah, man. So <clears throat> I think like a lot of people, you know, 2020 was was tough on everybody, right? And uh, I, I got in a little bit of a funk myself. Um, and I've also always kind of been the person that used fitness to justify eating or drinking whatever I wanted. So real big <laughs> on the reward system myself. <laughs> like, well, I did this gnarly workout, so I definitely deserve to eat this whole pizza and have like three glasses of wine. So yeah, man, I was just kind of in like a real fuck it mode <laughs> as far as like, eating and drinking. So I really wanted to create some better habits around that. Um, I'm getting older. I'm going to be 40 next year and I have an awful lot to live for. And I, and I want to be around for my family and I want to, you know, I want to be the best person I can be in the fire service too. So, um, so yeah, I, that was, those were kind of my motivations for getting into it. And uh, I think I did get a lot out of it. Like I, I re really do think I kind of created a, a lot healthier relationship with what I eat and what I drink. And, you know, you, you start feeling good. It's like shocker, like drinking water and not drinking alcohol and eating healthy makes you feel good. It's like, yeah, it took, it took this dummy 39 years to figure it out, but 
yeah, I, that was awesome. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for just exercising that, that muscle in your mind. That's like, this is what I'm doing. Like I'm making this decision. I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to see it through no matter what happens. Like that's what's happening. Um, so I got, I got a lot out of that and you know, it gives your a real sense of purpose, which is cool. Like, I think, you know, you've got your little app. And so every time you finish one of your tasks, you check that off and gives you that little dopamine hit. And like, I, I really respond to structure like that. So, um, yeah. And it, it also just reinforced like the importance of having a plan and like living, living with purpose on a smaller scale. Right. Like you, if people that, that fail at this thing, I think are people that are like, Oh, I've got a busy day coming up tomorrow. Like, I hope everything works out. And it's like, that's not going to work, man. Like you got to have a plan. Like, so for me, a lot of days that would be like, I know the only way I'm going to be able to get two workouts in is if I get up at four 30 and go run stairs before my daughter wakes up. It's my wife works. So I got to get my workout in before everybody's awake, get back. I can take care of the baby. She goes down for a nap. I can get another workout in when she's down for a nap. So just, and I think, you know, that's just for the challenge, but it, it hammers home kind of on a larger scale, like just being intentional with the way we live our lives. And uh, another kind of interesting thing about this, doing something like this is just other people's reactions to it. It's like, it really, it really bothers people when you're doing something that, I don't know, maybe seems outside of their comfort zone or maybe it's something that they wish they were doing but they just don't want to do and you know I wasn't doing it to impress anybody else or anything it's just I I wanted to make some changes for myself so I think uh, when you start getting a lot of pushback from people about something that you're doing maybe maybe you're on the right track like I, I think something that that not 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 enough of us do is is make sure that we are trying to live as purposefully as we can. And whether that's more of a meta perspective or something that's a little bit more localized, I think that's something that I know I try to remind myself on the daily, like I try to live purposefully, you know, I have a list that I look at every day. And, and uh, I know that's helped me at least, uh, I think it's helped me in, in my relationship with my wife, my kids, uh, my friends, and, and at work as well. Absolutely, man. I, and I don't know why it was such a surprise to me or just, I don't know, it wasn't in my consciousness, but yeah, I, I think it's been, it's a, it's a really important thing to think about, especially in terms of your family and your relationships, like living with intentionality is, there's a, there's a lot to be said for it. So I know when you're talking about the 75 hard and in your your relationship with food prior to that, that's kind of where I've been at my entire life. Um, where if I got a solid workout in, all right, well, I earned a little bit of dessert today. Uh, I earned an extra couple slices of pizza or whatever the case may be. So was this challenge for 75 days doing the diet, doing the exercise, was it more hard on you physically or mentally? If you can divorce those at all. Sure. Sure. Um, I think for me, mentally, it was tougher. And, and that was what I was looking for. Um, I, I, I'm an active person. Like I, I, I'm one of those people that enjoys working out and I enjoy being active. And I, and I know every, not everybody is like that. So for me, that, that part wasn't as tough, but the, the mental piece of just, you know, which it, I think is great. So, you know, we would all, you, you'd have those moments where you're like, you see the lists in front of you and you're thinking about everything you've got to do in that day. And how am I going to accomplish all this stuff? And it's, it's easy to, to feel overwhelmed for a moment and maybe <clears throat> kind of have a, a brief moment of despair. But if you can, if you can kind of just break it off into small manageable chunks, right. And just be like, I'm just going to focus on getting this one thing done move on with my day and take it from there. I think, I think that applies to so much in life. Right. And especially like we can, we can use the fire ground, for instance, like it'd be real easy to get overwhelmed with all the tasks that need to be accomplished or whatever. But um, there's a lot to be said for having, building that resilience in yourself and being like, you know what, like this is within my control now. 
I can do this one thing now. So I'm going to focus on that. And then I'm going to take the next thing as it comes. And I, I think that that was something I was looking for. And that was something I got from this. Okay. Um, how important is psychology, mindset, ideology, and mental attitude in becoming a higher performer? Well, first off, everybody <laughs> I, I, know I don't consider myself a high performer. I'm a I'm a medium performer who's in the lifelong pursuit of becoming a higher performer. But um, to answer your question um, unequivocally, I would say those things are absolutely important to to reaching that goal of becoming that high performer. Um, in terms of <clears throat> mindset, um, for me, it, it kind of starts every day before I go to work. I, I have a, a routine and I, I go and I run stairs with, with the folks on my shift and get some, get some physical fitness in, get some fellowship, and I just kind of start getting my mind around um, going to work and what I'm what I'm thinking about is I'm telling myself hey like we're gonna go to a fire today and and we're gonna go to work and and that's that's happening today so mentally expect that and recently uh I've been on two fires that that involved uh victims and as much as um we say and we preach like the expect fire expect victims mentality I think uh that really hammered home to me, like just how important that is. And um, there's, there's just no way that you cannot kind of have that oh shit moment for a second there when, when you actually encounter that victim. But I think if we work on uh, developing that mindset, um, I think we can, we can shrink that oh shit moment, right? And so uh, I think mindset is super important. And somebody, somebody said, I'm not sure who said it, but they said, you know, like how different would the next 30 minutes be if you knew that you were going to a fire at your own house? And that really resonated with me. I just thought that was super powerful. So, you know, like I said, like I'm in pursuit of these things. I'm not saying that I'm hundred percent all the time, but that that's my goal, right? That's what I'm striving for. So I, I do try to, to live with that mindset when I'm at work. And I think it, it trickles down into so many different things that we do, right? The, the way that we decide to set up our gear so that we can get into it even faster, um, the way that we pay attention to our tools when we're doing our morning checks, all those things. Um, and then as far as, as, as ideology, um, I think when we have a strong ideology and maybe, maybe another word would be like your, our why for why we're doing these things, that just informs the way we do everything, right? And like that, that is gonna uh, lay the foundation and just bolster our discipline in terms of the way we approach the job. Because, you know, motivation, it comes and it goes, but if, if we can strive for discipline, that's really gonna, gonna carry us through in, in the long haul. So yeah, when you, when you have that strong why, I mean, Every, everything, everything that you do is going to be informed by that. The amount of training that you do, the amount of time you think about going to fires. I'm, I'm pretty big on, you know, spending time thinking through in my head, different scenarios. Like when I do a window based search and when I make that grab, like I've, I've probably thought about that like a thousand times and it hasn't happened yet, but, but when it does, I'm, I'm hoping that that combined with my training and, and my dedication will, will help pay off for me. Um, another, another piece with mental attitude is just uh, having that positive mental attitude. I, you know, I think for me, like early on, like I would, you know, I'd be working hard, but inside I'd be like, when you're doing like those, those jobs, like overhaul or something, something that's not sexy and you know, you just got a lot of drudgery ahead of you and I, inside I just feel sorry for myself I'd be like this sucks like whatever and one of the things that I learned um, from being around the brothers and battle guys is just to embrace the work man like having that positive mental attitude and just being like you know what like this is what we're doing I'm just going to be in the moment I'm just going to lean into this it 
it changes everything. Like it makes it so much better and makes it more enjoyable. And I don't know, there's, there's so much to be said for, for uh, PMA having that positive mental attitude. Like, I don't know if there's any Bad Brains fans out there, but listen to that song PMA by them. Um, and then finally, for me, the, the other piece with the mindset is that, that physical fitness piece. And I think it, it, serves, uh, it serves us twofold. I mean, one, we're increasing our work capacity, but two, for me, every time I can, I can do a workout and kind of go to that dark place or even just like that light place of being like, eh, this sucks, like I want to quit. And then every time that, that you can push through that and, and see something through to the end, to me, it's like I'm just making a little deposit in the mental toughness bank, you know, and I'm just, I'm just building that and building that and building that so that hopefully know in the, in that moment of truth like all all those deposits are gonna pay off and and be worth it so i think i think there's a lot to be said for you know making friends of of pain and self-doubt and not being a stranger to those things so it's it's something that i i try pretty hard to to keep in my life do you feel like these topics are discussed as much as they should be in either firehouses or in fire curriculum? No, no, not at all. But on, on the positive side, I would say that I think we're, as a fire service, we really are starting to realize the importance of, of mindset and these topics. And I think, you know, for a, for a lot of the senior guys, they've been doing this stuff, but they just never put a name to it, right? Yeah. And, it, and it was definitely not something that you talked about, right? So. I think I think we're moving in a positive direction, but it's it's definitely it's definitely not something that it's still kind of on the counterculture, right? Yeah, it's a little underground still. I I I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going through your head on the way to a fire? What are you telling yourself? Or what are you thinking about on the way to a fire? Sure. Um, I I think like a lot of people. Uh, our, our, our department, we're, we're just like creeping into the future. So we all just got pulse point. Uh, and I don't know if it's just like an incident reporting deal. So I have it on my phone and it's linked to my watch. So when, when a fire drops, I get a notification and everybody in my house and on my crew has it. So, you know, when that happens, of course, there's just a ton of yelling and laughing and they're like, everybody goes and sprinting to the rig. Cause we take a lot of pride in, in turning out quickly. Um, so by the time I climb up into the till cab, it's like kind of jacked and I've just kind of been yelling, whatever. So immediately I'm like, okay, like reel it back in, dude. So what I do, um, is I, I think they call it box breathing. So I'll take a four second inhale, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four, hold it for four seconds. And I, and I'll repeat that and I can. I can feel my heart rate coming back down and I'm like, okay, like I'm kind of sinking into myself and, you know, I, I kind of will think to myself, you know, a couple things like one, I'm thinking, you know, no matter what happens, like we're going to win, you know, that's, that's the mindset I want to have is that, that we're going to win. Like there, there may be struggles, there may be mishaps, but we're going to win. But another, the other stuff I'm thinking about is just like, just like stay open, man. Like, be loose, be cool, be fluid, but be open to whatever's coming. Like, don't have it in your head. Like things are going to go this way or things are going to go that way. Just, just stay fluid, be calm. I'm going to, I'm obviously listening to the size up most of the, most of the time on the, on the truck. We're not necessarily going to be first in all the time. So if there is a size up I'm listening to the, the sound, the tone, that person's voice is kind of giving me cues. Like, okay, we got something working or all right, whatever, but I'm not, not drawing any hard conclusions, but I'm just kind of taking it in. And then based on their size up, I start painting like a rough picture in my head of, of the structure. And, and then based on the, the location uh, in the city, I kind of have some ideas in my head, like what kind of construction we're going to encounter. So just starting to paint, paint those loose pictures in my head and, and just being ready. And then kind of finally, the, the last, piece of that is it's almost like I just kind of try to be present and just enjoy the moment 
kind of have like a, a real brief uh, moment of appreciation because it doesn't get any better than doing what you love with the people that you love, man. Like it's, it's the best. So I just kind of like take that in because it's a, it's a special thing and you don't get to do it forever and you don't know how long you're going to get to do it. I like a couple things that you said there. I just want to highlight them because I think they're important and, and not discussed enough. Uh, being fluid and flexible and not getting so rigid in your thinking and what you're seeing and what you think you might be doing there. I think that's important. Um, I also like how you're excited from the get-go. Then you tell yourself to kind of to calm down, working on your breathing, but you're excited. And then you're grateful. And I think that kind of circles back to to that positive mental attitude. And I think when you go into the batter's box with a positive attitude, like I'm going to get a hit here. I think, and I don't have data on this, but I think that you're more apt, more likely to get a hit as if you went into the batter's box going, I really hope I don't fucking strike out right now. I think it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies oftentimes. Yeah. You go in the batter's box thinking you're going to strike out you're probably more likely to strike out, you know, that whole old Yoda thing, like whether you think you can or, or you can't, or, or no, it's not Yoda, but whatever you think you can, or you can't you're probably right. Uh, so yeah. Old wrestling t-shirts back in the day. Uh, Absolutely. So I, I like what you said there, man. I, I think that's, that's wise. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again. Um, broad brush strokes here, but when it comes to training, what are we, we be in the American fire service doing correctly and what are we doing wrong? Man, that's a big question, right? Um, I like I like the first part of it a lot. Uh, I think it's an exciting time to be in the fire service right now. I mean, I think we're really experiencing a renaissance in terms of people placing value on the, I'll, I'll use the word, but they're anything but, but the basics, right? The fundamentals. Like, I think there's, there's a return to a lot of value on those things and moving away from you know the shiny objects of tech rescue or whatever not that those things don't have their place but um so yeah i i think it's it's an incredible time we've got local conferences popping up we've got fools chapters putting on training like that the open gym concept that uh some of these fools chapters are putting on where they just get a training center and you just show up and work on the stuff you want to work on like i think that's so cool um and then, yeah, kind of starting to see what was the counterculture becoming more mainstream. So more people, you know, it's not as niche of a thing now for people to know about Mark Von Oppen or you know, some of these smaller fire conferences or, you know, Jocko Willink or whatever. The thing is, like, a lot of these things that it kind of felt like it was super underground are starting to be more widespread. And, and I think that's super cool. Um, and then... You know, there's positives and negatives, but for me, I, I prefer to look at the positives in, in terms of social media. And I, I think there is a lot of good stuff out there. And like, I'll, I'll give two, two people that had a, had a super positive impact on me early on. And that was Gary Lane and Adam Mayers. And those guys were just posting videos of just training by themselves. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. I'm like, these guys are just doing it by themselves. And at, at that time in my career, I, I didn't have anybody to train with. So it, it made me feel like I wasn't alone and I would just copy their drills. And, you know, it was such a cool thing. So I think, I think there's a lot of positive stuff out there. Um, in terms of what we're not doing well, I struggled with this one because I think, you know, so many of the other things have been been kind of kind of hit already you know like online training blah 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 so i'm gonna i'm gonna give a, a little bit of a hot hot take here and um call myself and call other people out and say that you know we're so quick to blame our department or an organization or our officer there's there's so many places that you can point the finger and I certainly am guilty of it um, but I think we really need to take ownership of our own training like nobody nobody is gonna you know take you under their wing like like you think they are like those those mentorships will come but you got to seek them out like everything should come from you trying to find it and make it happen for yourself um, and it, it's just 
it's so it's just so easy to be like oh the department doesn't give me any realistic training like blah blah, blah. and it's like well guess what like there's realistic training going all over the place and you know i'm i'm fortunate in that my wife works and i had a little bit of extra income where i could i could go to a lot of classes but you know i look around and there's a lot of firemen with a lot of expensive hobbies and it's like well maybe you could just you know spend 200 bucks on one class right and you might get so much out of that class and you could bring it back and share it with the folks at your department so i guess for me the thing that i would say that we're not doing well is we're we're still passing the buck on to other people about why we're not getting the training that we want and and complaining and then secondly like and i know i'm, I'm preaching in the choir right the people that need to hear this probably aren't the people that listen to this podcast but for those of us that are already engaged and, and tuned in, like maybe we can do a better job at reaching out to other people and trying to drag them along with us to, to a class. You know, I, I think for a long time, I was just like, oh, I'm just do it by myself. And I was just kind of used to doing that and started to realize like, you know, a little peer pressure goes a long way. Like you can, you can talk people into going to classes with you. So maybe we can do more of that. Yeah. Why is peer pressure? I always get a bad name. It right? can be absolutely positive as well. For sure. I like that hot take that you had. I think that one, uh, that one definitely resonated with me. I know I've been that guy in the past, um, you know, blaming it on other people, blaming my failings um, on what other people haven't given me instead of yeah. me earning, earning it. Um, okay. This is another one that, that uh, I like asking everybody, but if you had a crystal ball and could see into the future, what would fire service training and learning look like in 10 to 20 years? Man. All right. <clears throat> well, I, I, I can't tell you, Nick, what, what I think it's going to look like, but I can tell you what I hope for. And I can tell you what I'm afraid of. Um, I think, you know, the fire service is pretty interesting in that we mirror society at large on a much smaller scale. So just like we have so much division going on in our, in our society right now on a, a myriad of issues, uh, we kind of have a smaller scale of that happening within our fire service. So we've got the risk adverse people that want to push distance learning and, and all the computer based training, whatever, check the box kind of training that, that we love to complain about. And then we have the people that are like, it needs to be hands on, like it needs to be realistic, it needs to be relevant. And, and I probably, um, I probably relate more to that. So my fear would be that, uh, that, that divide just continues to grow over the next couple of decades in, in the same way that our country has grown apart. But my hope is that our, our better angels will prevail. Um, I think in 2020, we didn't get to do as much hands-on training as many of us would have liked, but what the good that did come out of that, at least for me, was I got to take so many awesome online uh, lecture classes from folks all over the country that I really would never be able to see, you know, like, getting to listen to Sam Hiddle or Nick Esposito. And I took your search class, Nick, and it was awesome. Like that kind of stuff is, is so cool. So my hope is that as we move forward, we would, we would use uh, good things from the online stuff and continue to, to freely share information as broadly as we can across the fire service. And uh, that that would be paired with, you know, that realistic, relevant, hands-on training that that we are also passionate about and I, I hope you know we can create a happy marriage of those two things moving forward well said about 2020 uh the the pros and cons i you know like everybody else we probably hopped on i probably hopped on i don't know a couple dozen online classes for guys that i wouldn't have otherwise gotten to see guys and girls that i wouldn't have otherwise gotten to see and that was awesome you know hearing yeah. Schwalbe and, and Samson yeah. and, and everybody else speak. It, it was awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. It's like all the best fire conferences happen at your house. You know? Yeah, it, like, like with everything else in this world, whether it be social media, whether it be online training, like it's easy to point out the negatives, but I think oftentimes we forget the positives and how awesome they can be as well. Absolutely. Um. So you said that the, the country seems divided. Do you think that is, is 
is a is an accurate representation or do you think it's it's kind of just what gets more play in the media and on social media and and that's what the algorithms uh steer you down towards do you think that we are more divided now than we were 10 years ago sorry i know this is totally off topic no 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 uh i mean it yes i think it's true that the the algorithms and the social media and those things exacerbate that but i also think it's true that kind of uh that just that that so we form those bad habits online for the for the people that engage in that kind of stuff and i i personally do not engage in any online discourse because it's i don't see value in it and that that's not what i'm about like i like to keep things positive and i think um i think we could go a long way with remembering that you know all those people are humans and they're all going through something um, but i've in the firehouse, I've seen lately a lot of division and a lot of, a lot of folks. Uh, and I think, you know, we've been through a lot. Everybody's been through a lot, and we're all working on on processing that. And it's, we, and that that's what I try to remind myself. If I, if I hear something that I don't agree with, I'm like, man, like I know how frustrated I am with a lot of the circumstances that are going on, and you know, just all the things that I'm feeling. And even though I don't agree with this person, like. I can try as hard as I can for a second to be like, I bet they're feeling that exact same way. It's just through a different lens. So mm. yeah, it's, it's a tough one, brother. Yeah, no, I, I, the reason I asked that is just because I've had this conversation with a bunch of other people and, and I appreciate your perspective on, on everything that we've talked about to this point. So I just kind of want to get your pulse on that one and, and, uh, and dig a tiny bit deeper on that one. I just think, yeah, when we can get the face-to-face -face interaction and when we can work together, that's when all that other stuff can fall away and we can really just see each other as people. Like, for me, you know, work, work is the answer always. <laughs> okay, so wrapping up here, we got some rapid-fire questions. What's the best conference you've ever been to? Portland. Hands down, it's my it's my favorite, and I, I know that I'm biased because uh, <laughs> of who I run with. But man, it's a special thing. Like going to that for the first time, my mind was blown. Like I was just like, "What is this universe?" So if there's anybody out there that hasn't been to Portland or or anyone, like I encourage you so much just to get get out of the bubble that is your department. No matter how great or bad your department is, like you're going to get a lot. Like, I, I feel sorry for people that don't partake in outside training and go into conferences because it's just a whole nother world. And you get to meet the coolest people and form friendships with people all over the country and learn from them. And I don't know, it's such a special thing. Um, but also I, I do want to give a shout out to, to two other ones. Uh, the Boise firefighter symposium and the Denver mile high conference. I've, I've had an amazing time at those. And those are real special too awesome what's the best class you've ever been to like one singular class what's the best one it's so hard to pick one dude it's so hard to nail it down but in terms of just like an overall experience um so for me i i i remember i got done with probation and it was uh it was the end of march and somehow some way i can't remember who told me about it but the nozzle forward was coming to bend oregon in april which is like six hours from where I live. Um, so I went solo, didn't know anybody. Um, and I, it just couldn't have come at a more perfect pivotal time for me uh, in my career. Like just being fresh off probation. I, I think, you know, there's two paths you can take at that point. Right. And I was real, real fortunate to, to encounter Aaron and that whole cadre and, and get to take that, that class. And, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was a big uh, watershed moment for me and it just really opened my eyes to a lot. And then, you know, the, the icing on the cake was I met two dudes there that are, are some of my best friends in the fire service, uh, a young James Nisbet and uh, Garrett Caster. So you know, those, those relationships are something I really value and those came out of that class. So for that reason, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say that that was the best class ever, which I know probably catch some heat for since it's an engine class and I work on a truck but it was it was a good one 
I think you're safe saying that. I, it's it's hard for anyone who's ever been to that class for that not to be in the top, you know, very short list of the classes you've ever been to. Yeah. All right. Best book or books that you've ever read. Okay. So this, I was excited about this one because your boy is a book nerd. <laughs> I, I, I volunteered at the library when I was in grade school. I'm, I'm down with the Dewey Decimal System. So uh, the first one, I, I, I didn't pick just one. So the first one I want to talk about is Matterhorn by Carl Marlantis. Um, and this book, like I'm super surprised it's not more prevalent and talked about in the fire service because I just think there's so much gold in there. Um, and uh, my homie John Metz shouted it out recently and then we geeked out because he was the first person I ever heard to talk about it. Um, but yeah, this book was given to me by, by a really a good friend. And I think there's, we get to see so many examples of leadership in it. Um, it's, it's set in the Vietnam War and the author, Carl uh, Marlantis was a Vietnam vet. So we get like the young uh, officer that's just trying to fast track and climb the ladder. And then we've got another, uh, another example of leadership in the guy that's salty and he's just there for for his men right like everything he does is in service of the men in the mission and then we also get to see like the thirty thousand foot view of um the general or command staff and just the disconnect between the field and what they're seeing and it it just paints a lot of cool pictures and helps you uh i don't know develop empathy and the other cool thing is there's there's a lot of uh a lot of parallels with what's going on uh, in our society right now in terms of social turmoil and uh, what was happening during the Vietnam War and just the way um, we as humans interact with each other and come to understand each other. So this book is dynamite, highly recommended. Um, in terms of kind of like a more tactical, nerdy book, uh, I'm a through the lock nerd. Um, so this book, uh, by Pat Watson called Tactical Lock Picking uh, for First Responders. There's a ton of cool stuff in here. And I think it's cool because um, he's not a fire service guy, right? So it's, it's always nice to get a different perspective. And he, he was a you know, military law enforcement dude. Um, but yeah, there's just a, a ton of cool stuff in here. Like to give you one example, uh, he talks about the two-step two rule. So if you're if you're ever trying to gain access to an objective, chances are like what you're looking for is probably within two steps of that, whether it's like the code for the fire alarm panel <laughs> is within two steps, right? Maybe it's on the cork board <laughs> right there or, you know, the, the keypad code to get through the door or the, the, key, the bathroom key is two steps from the door, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. So yeah, I enjoyed that one a ton. And then, um, Finally, sorry, thank you for indulging me. Um, Anytime we're talking about books, you got my attention. Okay. This, this, this isn't a book, but it's a, it's a poem. And I, I, I admittedly don't read a ton of poetry, but um, I think so many of our brothers and sisters that don't feel valued by their departments or feel like they're like that guy or gal who's just kind of on their own uh, training and just kind of making their way i think there's a there's a lot here that that will give them strength and uh that they can take away from it and the poem is called uh why by rudyard kipling and if i could just read this this last uh this last line here um if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son substitute man or woman you get it but i mean to me like the unforgiving minute like that's so that's so heavy and it resonates with me so much and i think anybody that's you know done a tough workout or been dealing with mental stuff or just been on a tough fire like that unforgiving minute can be so long and so real so i don't know I just nice love it. props for for being the first one to to throw out a poem. <laughs> Shit. No, I'm I'm down with that, and uh, I, I'm a bibliophile myself. So you gave me three things that I've never even heard of before. 
So yeah. I'm excited. I wrote all three of them down. Uh, can we go back to that tactical lock picking for first responders? Is that what you said? Yes. Yep. This yep. guy yep. was military. Was he a, a cop or was he a, a medic or EMT? Here. So he was a cop or he was, sorry, he was military and it's kind of nebulous. I, I think some sort of military government guy and okay. then uh, got into law enforcement and if you're on the gram, you can follow him at uh, Uncensored Tactical. Um, he's got an Instagram page there, and I'll, I'll hook you up with the link to the book. And he, he has a podcast, too. That's pretty cool. So, All right. I'm going to use that as the, as the perfect segue. Last one was, was favorite podcast. Dude, so hard. There's so yeah. many. But I'm just trying to get turned on to stuff that I don't know about yet or or to reinforce something that I already do know about. Sure, sure. So um I obviously I'm a huge fan of the Refined by Fire podcast. Like for me, I just I just love Steven as a host and um we're working on trying to get him get him back. He's got a, a lot on his plate, but I'm hopeful that, that it'll make a return. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously very <laughs> biased about enjoying all the, all the BIB podcasts that come out there. Um, but the, the other two that I would like to talk about are the leadership under fire podcast. I don't know. I, I only found out about it a while back, but I really like that one. I think um, I, what I don't like in fire service podcast is, fart jokes and a bunch of dudes cracking beers and i just i don't have time for that like i, I want something more genuine and more professional and the, the leadership under fire stuff definitely holds a high standard in that in that professional um style and then the other one that that people may not be familiar with i i, I think uh cody just turned me onto this one and i it, it's blowing my mind it's called the uh MCTI TeamCast, and it's Mission with Critical Teams Institute. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard that one? I have. Yeah, Leadership Under Fire turned me onto that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So man, that one is so cool. Uh, yeah, for the the listeners, uh, Dr. Preston Klein and Coleman Ruiz, uh, a former Navy SEAL, um, and they're they're kind of just working through. Like why do some people fail and some people don't, and and kind of bigger questions stemming from that as they as they relate to um, people who work in high stress environments. I think they they kind of talk about like three three hundred second decision making windows with life or death consequences. So first responders, fire, all that kind of good stuff. But yeah, man, there's there's some really those are deep. Like that those are re listens on every episode for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to, to Leadership Under Fire and MCTI, those are our next level, uh, what they're getting into, the science that they that they talk about. And, and rel- some of it's relatively obscure. We're talking neuroscience or neuropsychology and neurobiology. Um, and, and so it sounds like, I don't want to listen to this, but I haven't, I've, I've tried to turn a couple people onto these. I haven't turned somebody onto these and gotten bad results. Every time I've, I've told someone to listen to this, they're like, dude, that was awesome. Like, yeah. How did you hear about this? And I'm like, well, I heard, learned it from leadership under fire. Check them yeah. out too. Cool. I'm going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Those, those, uh, everybody at, at LUF and MCTI is, is, uh, the person I want to be when I grow up. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, last, I got, I got one bonus question for you uh any any chance that we're gonna see your sweet mustache on tacoma fire anytime soon the the tv series <laughs> dude <laughs> not a chance in hell <laughs> but i do i do have a little little story for you about that so when uh the show first came out we had a well first of all when i heard that show was coming out i was just like why us like what are the chances like why <laughs> why are they picking us you know like this sucks <laughs> but they they had a like a viewing party at the union hall um for the first episode so it was cool you know a lot of a lot of good fellowship everybody getting together and then, so we're there and then the dudes from the show show up and they like come out from the back and it, it was super cool man they donated um 
like a huge check to our honor guard and they donated like a ton of beer and all these <laughs> Yeti coolers and they, they kind of hung out with everybody and like, you know, took pictures and cracked beers and they were, I don't know, somehow it like, they were like, we need to take a picture with all the mustaches. So I kind of got pushed for it. So <laughs> I did, I did meet the dudes and take a picture with them and they were, they were super nice. And, um, they've continued to be super supportive of the department. So like, I don't watch the show. Like it's not really my thing, but, um, I have a lot of respect for, for the guys that make it just because they actually do care about us as a fire department, which, which is super rad. And uh, a couple of the guys from my station did go down and be on the show. Uh, they have, they filmed like some big fireball scenes. So uh, like everybody was in their class A's. So yeah, a couple guys I work with were on the show. So it was fun to see them on there, but I will not be on there anytime soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe at the very least we'll see that picture somewhere in the background of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. John, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. I had a blast talking to you tonight and uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, we can, uh, we can meet in person, man. Dude, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honestly very humbled to be a guest and I, I have nothing but gratitude and respect for everything you and Jeff and everybody else at fire nuggets are doing. Uh, I really, really appreciate what you guys are doing for the fire service. So thank you. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say you're welcome. But to be honest, I'm just riding everybody's coattails. I'm, I'm in everybody's wake right now. So <laughs> I just try not to drop any balls if anyone hands me anything. So thank you again, man. Much appreciated. For sure, brother.